Well, as I said, Lauren and I went last week to the senior pastor retreat, which was at Harvest Phoenix. Um, and it was awesome to get together with like 100 other pastors from Harvest churches around the world to hear what's going on from Pastor Bobby in Fayetteville, uh, from Pastor Christian um, in Harvest Arad in Romania, hearing about what's going on at Pittsburgh, Pastor Jeremiah, and, and we got to connect with so many others. Um, do you know that God is building his church and Harvest is a church planting church, which means we are a church plant and we're helping other church plants to launch. Because of that, we already have over 100 churches that are Harvest somewhere in the world. And listen, they're saying because the, the word is spreading so quickly, very soon there's going to be more um, international Harvest churches than there are Harvest churches in the States. So do you know we're going to open up a Harvest church in Cuba soon? Do you have any idea what it takes to get a Harvest you don't even want to know. I had lunch. I had lunch with the guy who was responsible over the last four years. Americans are not allowed to go there, all right? Like, they don't stamp your passport when you leave or when you enter. You can just disappear, and no one would even know. And God's opening that door for a harvest to launch there. So God's at work. I can't wait to share a lot of those stories with you. Keep Pastor Brandon in your prayers as he's working hard in Rochester, New York. He doesn't have anything or anyone yet, but he's working hard and running meetings and info meetings. So encourage him, find him on Facebook, pray for him every day because we're uh, joyfully celebrating already because we know there's going to be a new church that launches this fall and Brandon's going to be the pastor there. So keep him in prayer. But anyway, after the, uh, after the conference in Phoenix, Lauren and I spent like four or five days. We just went to uh, Sedona and then up to the Grand Canyon um, kind of to commemorate our 15th anniversary that's coming this summer. And I got to tell you, I'm sorry to say we're moving there next week, so I hope you have enjoyed me as your pastor. It's so beautiful down there. Uh, it really is. So we went to the Grand Canyon. I've never been. Have you been to the Grand Canyon? So here's a picture. We got there. We spent a day there. Uh, it, it takes your breath away. You can't explain it. Yeah, I, I could not believe my eyes. It was so majestic. I just kept saying, this is so majestic that God carved this with his hand. And then we decided to walk into the canyon. Huge mistake. Here's a picture of us just before we went in. I'm holding on for dear life. Lauren's like, come on, let's go. Look at this trail. This trail that goes down is rugged and rocky and dusty. Look at those boulders that just fall and roll. And, uh, and so we were walking down that trail. Here's the next picture. It shows you how the trail snakes down. And then like off of the distance there, there's a uh, five to 6,000 foot drop. It takes four and a half to five hours to get to the bottom, six to eight to come back up. We decided only to hike for about an hour and a half. Uh, so this next picture shows how we arrived at our lunch destination where we just hung out there and then we hiked back up, right? Um, but look at that for a moment. How gorgeous it is. We're, we're barely below the red rock level you know, and we hiked for an hour and a half. Um, and such beauty is matched with such peril. And, and as we're walking down, there's this family walking up with kids in gym shoes, and we're like, whoa. The, the kid tripped a little bit, and we're like, oh. and then And then this, this group comes up on, on mules, and, and we're like, oh. And then this guy's running down the canyon for exercise. I said, Lord, don't you want to just trip him? She said, no. I said, not to his death. I mean, just like, like a humility fall, you know, like 10 foot to show him he shouldn't be doing that. 
Anyway, so, so I use that because here, here's what's going on. And we're working our way through 1 Timothy. The church in Ephesus was like a family going down this, this trail to get to a destination, right? But there were some people in the church who were walking up to the ledge of heresy and doing one of these, right? And there were, there were false teachers who were taking God's children up to this dangerous ledge where they were going to fall into sin or heresy, right? And they're doing this. And so here the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, get them back off the ledge. You need to get to work because they're believing some false things and there's teachers who are going to lead them, boom, over the edge. So this book is filled with truth for the church. But here's the thing. Today, the Bible makes sure that this pastor Timothy knows he has to keep the love intact while he goes to correct these people who are doing wrong. He has to make sure he treats them like a family that's traveling together down this treacherous road, all arriving at the destination safely. Because of that, we're going to learn what it means today to be a church family. We're going to learn what it means to love our biological family. It's a call to love within the church and within our family. Let's pray and then we'll get into the Word together. God, you are our Heavenly Father. We are your children in your household. We're so grateful for the family love that you have shown us as you adopted us as your children, rebellious as we were. You crowned us with an inheritance and made us sons and daughters. Thank you for showing us a family love we didn't deserve. Help us to learn today to love those around us and to love those who we are, who we are tied to by family for life. Give us this reminder. Give us this helpful challenge today to show this love to others, especially those who are in need of a corrective word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. Verse 1. Bring a Bible, open a Bible every week. We should do a check one day. Hand out Bibles. If you need a Bible, just grab one from your neighbor. They're not going to yell at you. It's church. Steal it right out of their hands. 1 Timothy 5, verse 1 says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Uh, Listen to the words that he uses. A father, as brothers, as mothers, as sisters. We're supposed to love those around us as if they are our church family. Uh, Write this down first. Hey, learn to love your church family. Learn to love your church family. It's important to understand this theological truth about the church. Are you ready? The Bible is not saying, act like the person next to you is family. Like, imitate family with them. The Bible is saying you are family. You are. We're brothers and sisters in Christ forever. We're supposed to act in line with what's already true by God's action. So when you interact with a fellow believer, you are interacting with a spiritual family member. The question is, are you treating them with family love? God made you family. We need to learn to love our church family. Timothy needs to stabilize these people who were leading brothers and sisters in Christ to the edge and doing one of these and getting them in trouble. And Paul says, hey, when you go up to them, make sure you do this with love. There's older men there that need a word of truth. And you know what? You're going to have to do it in love. There's older women. There's younger women. Younger, you're going to have to do it in love and bring this corrective word in love. 
Um, look back at verse 1. It says, do not rebuke an older man. So it talks about how Timothy in his maybe late 30s could interact with an older man. And it also mentions older women. It says, treat them as mothers. So let's talk about that first. Write this down. Correct older believers with grace and love and without contempt. Write that down. Correct older believers with grace and without contempt. When he mentions older men, there's a do not and there's a do. The do not is, do not rebuke him harshly. Do not rebuke him. The word for rebuke means to strike. Like don't with your words or your word choice or your tone, strike him. Like if, if, if you've got to go up to an older guy who's maybe off on his theology or maybe you guys had a fender bender and you've got to resolve a conflict, he's like, don't, don't, bam! Don't punch him harshly when it's time to bring some correction. Okay, but rather encourage him. Encourage doesn't mean pat on the back. You're an awesome guy. I love you. It actually means put an arm around him and strongly urge him to go in the right direction. You see how it shows the love, but it shows the truth. Like, hey, listen, I got I to gotta put an arm around you here and say, you're off. Dude, you got to get back from the ledge here. All right? This is encouragement. This is exhortation in the Bible. So this scenario shows that, listen, younger men, men, men like my age and younger, there, there could come a time where you're going to have to sit down with somebody who's older than you, and maybe you're going to have to fix a conflict, or you're going to have to warn them of you know, something that they believe or they said. When you do that, no matter how mad you are, you're not supposed to be like, oh, I can't wait to... You're supposed to treat him like a father, like a dad. Like that relationship is intact and is not going to be broken because of this spat. Um, now, this is, this is not directed toward the older men, but by implication, let me just say a word to the guys who are older. Okay, There's going to be times when God has to use a younger man to get a message to you. All right, And if this guy spends time trying to be gracious and thinks about the best way to put it and picks the right time and sits down and says, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but here's how this made me feel. you got to be ready to receive that because God could be using this younger man to bring a gracious word to you as he's using Timothy to bring this word to older men in the church in Ephesus. But it's supposed to be like a father. You're supposed to encourage him. Okay, and, and hey, hey, this is going to hurt. But, hey, this is going to heal. Now, we all had fathers, you know, brought us into the world. We have an interaction, a relationship with them. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. Maybe it's awful. Maybe it's heavenly. Who knows? But have you ever had to, like, go to your dad and talk to him about something? And does it, did it go well? Did it go not so well? Uh, have you seen the movie Matilda? In the movie Matilda, the little girl has to go talk to her dad, Danny DeVito, about something at one point. Uh, it doesn't go so well. Check this out. Two-directional drill. You run it backwards, the numbers go down. Watch your speedometer. Cool. See? Yeah. Daddy, you're a crook. What? This is illegal. Yeah, keep drilling. Do you make money? Do you have a job? No, but don't people need good cars? Can't you sell good cars, Dad? 
Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> it's going to happen in the church. The Bible's getting us ready for it. There's going to be a time, younger man, when you need to interact with an older man and perhaps bring some correction to him. All right? Hey, there's going to be a time, older man, when a younger man has to perhaps bring a word to you. All right? Is it going to be, I'm big, you're small. I'm right, you're wrong. I'm smart, you're dumb. And you deafen your ears to what maybe God's trying to tell you? Is that going to happen? Or younger man, is it going to be so rude and in your face and explosive and inconsiderate that the man is just going to be like, who do you think you are? You see, we have to be able to speak truth to one another or we're not going to grow. This is learning to love our church family. And we have to be able to correct older believers with grace and without contempt. What about older women? See, Timothy had some women who were being misled by these teachers and he had to go and interact with them and say, hey, hey, step back off the ledge here. And, you know, there could be the temptation on their part to be like, who do you think you are? You know, you're like the age of my son. Why would I listen to you? And that's a danger. Older women, are you an older woman? Well, I don't know. But according to the Bible in verse 9, it says, you know, that there's kind of this older guideline of if a widow is 60 years or older, she kind of fits into the category of being an older widow. So, hey, if you're under 60, the Bible calls you young. I didn't get an amen on that. (laughs) But if you're an older woman and you've lived a lot of life and perhaps there's even a younger woman who one day has to sit down and talk with you or you guys have a fender bender and you've got to work it out. Are you going to be like, I'm big, you're small. I'm right, you're wrong. You're... Or are you going to be receptive? See, two weeks ago we talked about how spiritual maturity means you should be more receptive to God's voice than ever before. Meaning you've got bigger ears the older you get in the faith to hear God's word from whoever it is that's sharing it with you. And sadly, there's this trend in Christian in, in churches where older, wiser believers have these tiny little ears and they let such a small amount of feedback get to them because they're mature. No, that's immature. That's immature to put on teeny little mouse ears and let nobody tell you anything because you know it all. That's immaturity, small little ears. Big old ears that hear what God may be saying to you, even from a younger sister, uh, that's maturity. Let's face it, there's going to be a time in our lives when somebody's going to have to come up to us and say, hey, and maybe they're older, maybe they're younger. Hey, hey, I don't think you, you're seeing this, but I think you need to hear it. Okay? When we were in the Grand Canyon, we hiked down, hour and a half, hiked back up, hour and a half, and then we found a restaurant we were going to eat at before we went to, uh, to dinner. And they've got these signs all over, these danger signs. Check this out. This is a warning sign by one of the edges. See, they, they try and warn you. Don't go near the edge. But there's no railings, and the signs are not everywhere. So you could be walking like this, and suddenly, boom, you're right next to the edge of the Grand Canyon. You're like, whoa, I'm I'm close. Uh, So we were eating dinner, and we were eating dinner in this restaurant, and we were probably from here to the end of the room. The end of the room was the Grand Canyon, and our restaurant was right here, and we got to look out. People kept walking by, you know, and you see the guy who, who... you know, goes up like this, and he's taking the picture, and, and, uh, and then out of nowhere, Lauren goes, <gasps> I was like, what, what? And we look out, and there's a girl, like eight-year-old girl, doing a handstand right by the edge of the Grand Canyon. 
and her older sister's taking a picture. Hold it, hold it, and then she does a cartwheel. And Lauren's like, <gasps> But here's the thing. You're, you're not sure. Like, sometimes it's deceiving. Sometimes it looks like a ledge, but then there's like, right, right behind it, there's like a lower ledge, and it's not as dangerous as you think, but sometimes it's straight down. So Lauren's like, oh my goodness, where's this person's mother? Where, what are, that better not be like the edge of the edge. And well, then the kids come running into the restaurant and mom is on the phone texting. And they're like, mom, 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 look at what we did. She's like, oh yeah, great, that's nice. And we're like, should we say something? And then it, they, they laughed and we didn't have a chance, but just to check, we went out there and sure enough, it was straight down. And we're like, like, what, what if that was our kid? Our kids would never do anything like that. <laughs> but what if, in another world, if they had worse parents, that were to happen, hypothetically? Like, there's going to be a time that someone has to say, hey, listen, I don't know if you see this, okay? You might be distracted. I'm going to try and say it lovingly, but... And are you going to be willing to receive that? Because we're all going to need it. Um, we go to Harvest U each year. That's a church planning training up at Elgin. Many of you have gone, and, and something I heard there I'll never forget. The guy said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. And it's true. We all need feedback. We've got to hear some things from some people if we're going to grow. Uh, we've got to know when we or our marriage or our kids or our, our ministry is on the edge about to go over, and who's going to tell us, hey, get off the phone. This is life or death here. Right? Who's going to tell us that? And are we going to hear it? So how, how could you correct an older believer if you had to do it? Well, write these down. Um, these are not in your bullets. These are just extras. But write these down. Be willing to say it. Be willing to say it. Maybe you're a truth person and you're like, oh, I won't have any problem saying it. I'll tell it to him. All right. Write this down next. Be willing to say it with kindness. <laughs> oh, fine. Be willing to say it. That's a word to those of you who maybe are afraid of conflict. Maybe you've been seeing something in a believer's life for too long and you're not willing to say anything about it. You're willing to let it get worse, you know, because you don't want to rock the boat. Maybe, maybe you need the encouragement to, hey, you've got to say something. But then again, maybe you're the truth teller and you need a reminder to say it with kindness. Like, say it lovingly. Treat them like a mother. Treat them like a father. Write this down. Allow time for it to soak in. Allow time for it to soak in. And then, most importantly, love, even if they respond poorly. Go into the meeting knowing, hey, you know what? I might not get a lot from this. Like, this might go poorly. I'm going to give them some time. I'm going to turn down the volume. I'm going to slow down the process. I'm not going to raise the stakes. I'm going to lower the stakes. I'm going to affirm my love for them. And even if it goes worst case scenario, hey, I'm walking away knowing that that's a brother in Christ. Okay? That's how you do it. And I've had some younger, I've have, had some older believers who've had to sit down with me and say, hey, man, I don't, I don't know if you knew this, but you said this last week and this could be misconstrued. Um, when you speak for a living, you often put your foot in your mouth. Sometimes I don't even know what I said. They're like, do you realize you said this? I'm like, no, I didn't. I, then I listen back and I'm like, oh, I'm really glad someone told me I said that because I didn't even know I said that. You're going to have a, a chance to listen or to share feedback that can help a brother or sister grow. But listen, it should feel like family. 
When it happens, it should feel like family. You shouldn't go into stone-cold stranger mode where you're like, who are you to talk to me? You're nobody. You shouldn't use your age to shut down the younger person, and you shouldn't swing at an older believer. That's learning to love your church family. What about those who are your peers or younger? Well, write this down. Correct younger believers like their relatives. Like their relatives. It says here, uh, younger men, verse 1, as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So correct younger believers like their relatives. It uses the word brother. Like if you've got a thing with a man who's about your age or younger than you, and you've got to sit down with him and work through it, it should feel like family, like he's a relative. Okay, do you have brothers? Maybe you have older brothers. Maybe you have younger brothers. Maybe you're the youngest brother and you hate brothers. I don't know. There's some famous brothers out there, famous brothers, famous dudes of the Blues Brothers. They're famous brothers. Looked out for each other. Here's another. These are the, uh, from more modern times, those are the Jonas Brothers. Nobody screamed. Here's the next one. If you're from the 80s like me, you love the Hart Brothers, right? Tough, fighting in the ring for each other. So you're supposed to talk to that person like they're family, like they're a brother. If, if you think about brothers, brothers at their best can see past what others see, right? They know the true person. They know the heart. There's no fooling them. Brothers can offer affection that hits the bullseye. They know exactly how to encourage the other man. Brothers hold each other accountable. Brothers are different than strangers. It's family, right? Brothers don't let brothers get away with nonsense. Um, That's the way the church is supposed to interact. The people on your ministry team, the people in your small group who are like your age or younger, it's supposed to feel like you've got this brotherly devotion. It's not supposed to feel like strangers, right? It's supposed to feel like family. What about sisters? Okay, so in the original context, Timothy, a young single man, had to interact with some single women younger than him, right? And he maybe had to help them back from the edge, and they were being deceived or taken advantage of. And here, the the Bible, the Lord is warning him, hey, you're supposed to treat them as spiritual sisters in all purity. Meaning, as you help them, eyes off, hands off, they're your sisters in Christ. And man, this is a warning to us. When you see a sister in need, she's vulnerable. She needs help. You're not the one who's supposed to be the primary person helping her. In fact, you're supposed to guard yourself against taking advantage of her. She ultimately needs a woman in her life who she can talk to. Don't swoop in and think you're being the hero. You actually need to guard your heart because that can turn into real, a real messed up relationship right there if you're the one who's going to help her out of this problem. And he's warning Timothy here, hands off your sisters in Christ. This is an interesting conversation because sometimes like believers will come and they'll say, all right, we're dating now. Uh, you know, so where's the line? Like, where's the line of what we can do and can't do? Can we hold hands? Can we kiss? You know, where's the line? Does the Bible draw a line? Okay, this is a helpful verse for you. She's not your wife. She's your sister in Christ. Would you do that to your sister? Well, it's just a little back rub. Sure, go give it to your sister and see how it feels. Just rubbing a little suntan lotion on her, do it to your sister and see what people say. Awkward. All purity. Men, listen. 
all purity. Women who are, who are your age or younger, you're to treat them as spiritual sisters. All purity. Till she's your wife, she's your sister. Let that soak in and be warned. We have to correct younger believers like their relatives. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we have to treat them with love and respect. Now, maybe you're an older believer and you've got all these younger believers and you're like, am I supposed to really treat her like a sister? Like she's younger than... Well, the Bible also uses the imagery of like parents. So 3 John 1, 4 says this. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. See how he called his congregation, because he was old at this point, his children. So you're supposed to treat women, you're supposed to treat these younger women as like they're your daughters in Christ. And you've got a responsibility to train them up how to follow the Lord. Men, you're supposed to treat these younger boys in the Lord like they're sons to you, right? There's that affection for them and that, that jealous love for them that keeps them out of trouble. Sometimes older guys, don't you get fed up with younger guys, am I right? Like these cocky, young Christians who think they know everything. Check this out. This is a sumo wrestler who's putting his son uh, in his place. Don't you just want to do that, guys? At times, don't you, don't you just want to do that with your own sons at times? Just stand them up be like, do you know who's in charge here? You know? That's going to need to happen. But there should be this family love, right? Older man helping younger man in love. Younger woman talking to older woman in love. Brother to brother, we've got to have a heart to heart. We can work this out. You're going to be family forever. thousand years from now, that conversation will still be remembered. Best if you treat each other like family now. But you have to learn how to do it. Am I loving my church family? Am I really making this a more loving place to be? Here's three questions you can ask yourself. Write these down. Do I know? Do I know what anyone else in this room right now is going through? If I don't know, if I haven't found out, how can I possibly love them? Do, and then next, do I care? Has knowledge of this trial or burden stirred within me a desire to respond, to pray? To care? Do I even care? Could you tell me two or three people in this room, in your small group, on a ministry team, I know what they're going through and I'm caring about it? And then, and then next, how can I help? Like, are you springing into action to do whatever you can do to truly help a brother or sister in Christ who needs your support? If I don't know, I can't care. If I don't care, I won't help. This is just the fundamentals of loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, the best way to do that is to get into a small group. It's very hard in this church, if you're not in a small group, to know, to care, to help. It's very hard for us to know what's going on in your life to care and to help you. So the whole first point is learn to love your church family. The whole second point, this is just a two-point sermon, is write this down, learn to love your family. Now the camera turns away from your church family, and within the church family, it zooms in on your family family. And there were some people in the church here who were failing to love their family, and it was creating a burden on the church family. So he tries to start setting that straight. So look at verse 3. It says here, honor widows who are truly widows. Widows are like the neediest of the needy here in in the New Testament and in the Old. If they don't have a husband to provide for them, they're so reliant on their children to come through or they can't even pay their basic bills, right? Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has, get this, children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return 
to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So write this down. Learn to love your family. Love your parents and your grandparents. Love your parents and your grandparents. Um, There were people in Ephesus, sadly, shockingly, children who were not providing for their own mother when they could. And they were letting it burden the church. Well, let the church take care of you. I'm not going to help you pay your bills this month. You should be shocked by that. Huh? They weren't even caring for their own mother when they could? Or the grandkids weren't even caring for grandma when they could? And so the grandma's coming to church like, yeah, I could really use some help. Aren't your kids helping you? No. And here there's a call to the, parent, to the children and the grandchildren to take care first of those who are in the household. Hey, I don't know how it is with you and your parents. I don't know how it is with you and your grandparents. But we're supposed to learn because it takes time. Learn, because it's never over. Learn to show godliness to them first. It's a process of learning to love those who we're bound to for life. And we're supposed to do it because our love from Christ is supposed to fall first on them. When it says godliness, show godliness to your own household. Hey, everything you've learned about Christianity should first be shown to your children, your wife, your grandchildren, your, your grandparents. It's first shown to those who are at home. The problem is, those are the people sometimes that are hardest to love, right? Sometimes it's easier to love strangers and church family than those people who I've had to live with for my whole life, right? But if you're honest, the older you get, the more you kind of resemble your parents, am I right? So you want to get away from them, and you never want to be like them, but then you say something that your mom always said. And you were like, no, I just said that to my kids. You know, because you're supposed to be connected to them. You know, I, I found a picture. This is a family. They just resemble each other. Check this out. It's uncanny. Like they look exactly alike. That's a joke. That's Mr. Bean. But maybe you feel that way. You're like, man, I just try and get away from these people. And then I start acting like them. You know what? It was God's design. You're supposed to have this bond, this unique bond with your family. You're not supposed to wall them off. This is a challenge to love your parents and your grandparents. Uh, For me, both of my grandmothers went to be with the Lord over the last year. And for for so many years, I would always feel like I should see them more. I should take the grand, you know, my kids over there more. Well, then when you find out the doctor said such and such and the time is limited, you know, then you really know I've got to get over there. So that was the case for the last year. Um, And one grandma got sick, then the other grandma got sick. So... We made, we made a huge effort to just go there, to see them, whether they're recovering, whether they're in the hospital, whether they're at the nursing home, whether they're back home, to just like get in their lives. But so often, two, three weeks would go by, and I'd be sitting at the dinner table, and I'd say, when's the last time we went to see grandmas? And they're like, eh, and I'm like, we got to go. We got to go now. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to neglect, even when you know they're in need. Um, and, and we, time and again, just kept trying to get there to see them. And um, it helped my kids to form such a loving bond with them before both of them passed and went to heaven. Um, and now, you know what? For me, that season is over. I go to nursing homes now to make visits, and I look and see these little old ladies, in the, and I think to myself, I miss that. Like, I can't do that for my grandmas anymore. That door has closed, you know? So time is limited. This is your chance to know what's going on in your grandparents' lives, to care and to help, because that time will come where it's over. What about your parents? 
things good with your parents, things bad with your parents, are things broken with your parents. God's calling you to give attention to that this morning. It says here, we're supposed to show the love of Christ to our household. It says to make some return to our parents. So the Bible's reminding us that we owe our parents big time. And we're returning to them something of the love that they showed to us. Those who were our caregivers growing up, we owe them big time. It's a fact. And uh, it's been said before, the three stages of relating to your parents is obey them. Then when you move out, forgive them. Then repay them for the rest of your life. Some people get stuck in the middle there and they've never forgiven their parents. It's blame, 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 blame. So they never help or love or repay. There's a debt. Your parents have done something one of a kind in your life. Person who provided you with clothing and shelter and food, you owe them a debt. And nobody got perfect parents. Nobody. So I understand that there can be hurt, stirred up when this is talked about, you know. Maybe your relationship with your folks was good. And maybe you have the joy now of maintaining that and not neglecting that. Maybe your relationship with them is just complicated. It's good, it's bad. You're the one who kind of has to keep it going in the right direction. Good. This is a challenge to keep doing that. Uh, Maybe it's flat out broken. Uh, Four flat tires, side of the road, rolled over in a ditch, cars on fire. Painful, tricky, complicated, hurtful, don't know where to start. Worse than the biggest Christmas tree light knot I've ever tried to untie. Can't, don't know where to pull first. The Lord is really challenging you to make sure that the deadbolt is not closed on your side of the relationship. To make sure the door is not shut and bolted and chained and locked on your side. We're supposed to love our parents. We're supposed to love our grandparents because we owe them. I know I owe my parents big time, uh, and I'm preaching to myself here to grow in loving them routinely on a weekly basis. Uh, But when I was in college, you know my job was I worked for an entertainment company, so I was a DJ in the weekends, and then I was a clown during the week. Maybe you find that hard to believe. So I'd go, I went to to the mall, and I was face painting one. It was a Halloween. I was face painting one day, and then I thought, well, I've got a DJ job at night, so I'll just stay dressed like a clown and go to the job because it's Halloween. Well, the job was at the Palmer House Hilton down in the city. Apparently, no one in the city celebrates Halloween because I was the only person dressed up in the whole city. I felt like such an idiot. I was like, and I wasn't just dressed like a clown. I was dressed like one of those hobo clowns, like the homeless clowns where you've got all tattered clothes and, you know, like sideburns and a hat and rosy cheeks and you look like you're a homeless clown. So I finished my job. It was like midnight and I went to pack my stuff up and I was going to pull my 1981 Chevy Custom Cruiser station wagon out of the parking garage, dressed like a homeless clown, and I lost my wallet. So I couldn't get out of the parking garage. So I had to go back into the hotel and ask people for money because I couldn't get out of the parking garage. And so I'm like, I uh, have a car, and it's in the garage, and I lost my wallet. Can you loan me money to get my car out of the garage? And they're all like, yeah, sure. I've heard better. I've heard better stories than this. No. No one would help me. 45 minutes I'm asking, and no one gave me any money. 
So I had to call mom and dad. So they drove down to the city. By this time, it's one, in, it's one o'clock in the morning. And I'm downtown, sitting out there in front of this hotel. Can't get my car dressed like a homeless person. And so my parents get down there. And while I'm waiting, this real homeless person asked me for money. I'm like, really, dude? Really? I think you owe me this time, all right? 20 bucks. So they come down. They get me out of the parking garage. And we drive home. And I owe them big time. <laughs> and that was one of a thousand times that they bailed me out, you know? Um, we have to remember that God really wants us to love our parents, to honor them. It's a commandment, one of the big ten. It's something that's going to be a lifelong assignment. And I understand, maybe you can say they were mean, they were hurtful, they were negligent, they were abusive, they didn't want any part of me. I'm free to walk away. No, you're not. That's not what Christians do. It's not what God did to you. And you're in danger of falling into the same trap they fell into, of failing to love their family. When I preached through the teachings of Christ last year, I went through a passage on how Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Sometimes your enemies are in your family. And here's the thing. If you don't love your enemies, you'll become your enemies. If you don't love them, you'll be them. You'll become like them. You have to love them. It's the only way to break the cycle. All right, I know what you're saying. You're like, yeah, but I've got family members who I've loved them and they walk all over me. Hey, the Bible's got you covered. Look, next verse. Verse 5. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has her hopes set on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Exhibit A. True widow in true need, praying that she would be able to pay her phone bill and she's crying out to the Lord and you should not neglect her. Exhibit B, verse 6, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Exhibit B, the woman who is in need, who takes advantage of her relatives and her church. She wants to mooch off of those around her to not live the life that glorifies God. Write this down. Learn to love your family, love your parents and grandparents, and don't take advantage of your relatives or church. The Bible's calling out the woman, the, the widow who has true needs, but who is using those around her to live a self-indulgent life. The word self-indulgent can mean riotous, like prodigal, like you're only taking so that you can live the life of pleasure, the party life, irresponsibly. And it could either be pleasure or it could be, uh, it could be running around with men, right? Or it could just be luxury, like you're just taking and you're doing things for yourself, and you're not being responsible towards your children or your relatives around you. Whatever the deal, there's a, there, there's a distinction here. The Bible is differentiating between this one woman who's truly in need versus this other woman who's truly going to take advantage of you. Okay, And there's a warning here. If you're a person who's in need and you're dependent on the relatives around you, don't take advantage of them. And don't take advantage of your church. That's next week's message, how the church is supposed to provide for the widows and be careful not to hurt, right, with how they try and help. But don't take advantage of your relatives or your church. Hey, this is a stinging description. It says here, she who is self-indulgent is dead while she lives. Do you know in the Greek, the way that reads is she who is self-indulgent lives dead. Lives dead. 
meaning that's not the life Christ has for her, because this woman who's in need is taking advantage of her family members around her, not being responsible towards her children or her parents, it's actually proof that she's not a Christian. Because she's not willing to love her parents or her relatives who are trying to help her, she's living it up for herself. She's refusing to be responsible. That's proof based on her relationship with her family that she's not a Christian. She lives dead. And the Bible's calling that person out. That God's got more for that person than just taking love from the family, taking love from the church, and never producing a crop of righteousness. That's not love. That's not God's plan. We can fall into this trap today. This is, it may sound harsh that the Bible is calling out single moms in need, but it's also dads. It's also parents who are struggling to relate to a prodigal child who's going to make foolish decisions. Maybe you have a brother or sister who you've helped before and they've just hurt you with that. There's all these complexities of how I'm supposed to relate to that person, right? But the point is, you're right. You're not supposed to get taken advantage of. So if you have that family member, find ways to help. Don't shut the door of love on your side and bolt it closed, but make sure you're not enabling them. And if you're that family member who other people are trying to wake you up to see the reality of your own irresponsibility, the Bible's calling you out on that. I'll say this, though. Uh, Pastor James from our main campus has said this before, too. If God is going to work in a family member's life and it's hard for you to watch it and you're tempted to step in, Don't get between the hammer and the work. Don't get between the hammer and the work. Don't prevent the pain God is about to bring into their life to teach them what they need to learn. It's right and loving to allow that pain to wake them up to the reality of their situation. All the while, finding ways for you to still help them with the love of Christ. Learn to love your family. Love your parents and grandparents. Don't take advantage of your relatives or church. And then it goes on to say this, and this is a major wake-up call. It says this, it says in verse 7, Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. Who? That can look back and say those, those needy individuals who are taking advantage of people, hey, wake up. This could also look ahead to this next verse. Verse 8, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. Let me read that again. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Write this down. Love love them, your family, because it proves you're saved. It proves you're saved. Hey, if the love of Christ is not working at home, the Bible says it's not working at all. Children, Teenagers, listen, hear me out. College students, hear me out. You listening? If you turn off the love to your parents, you're turning off the love to your God. You hearing me? If you turn off the love to your parents, you're turning off the love to your God. If you don't love those in your own household, you can't love God. Parents, if you turn off the love to your parents or your children, Fathers, if you turn off the love to your children, you're turning off the love to your God. You can't say you love God when you've turned off the love. Husbands, you can't turn off the love to your wife. It turns off the love to your God. All right? 
And here it says that the person who's turned off the love to their family and talks like they've got the love on with their God, they're worse than an unbeliever. Meaning if, if you've slammed the door shut and bolted it and chained it and locked it to a family member, and then you say you love God, you're, it would be a better day for you if you woke up as a hell-bound sinner. That would be an upgrade. That would be better for you than what you are now, which is a hypocrite, which is someone who closes off their heart to those God has put in their lives and pretends to love God. Man, what a hard word to hear. I don't know about you, but it, I look at that door the door to the person who I have the hardest time trying to love in my family, and I want to race to that door and unlock it and unchain it and unbolt it and swing it open so fast based on what I just heard in God's Word. And I don't know what's waiting for me on the other side of that door, but God just told me that door needs to open or His door shuts to me. ever the Lord has challenged you to spring into action and fix anything, there must be a relationship in your life. You've been closing that door, closing that door, and God wants to swing it wide open. Hey, I don't know what relationship God's bringing to your heart right now, but the Bible says love proves faith. That's what it's saying here. Love proves faith. And this can be a way of you to show those people in your life who are hardest to love, to show them the love of Christ. To show them the undeserving love that God showed you. You're right. They don't deserve it. You're right. They did blow it. You're wrong. You can't walk away. I want to give you a chance now just to bring whatever relationship in your heart you have, whatever, whoever it is you're struggling to relate to in the church, out of the church, I just want to give you a chance to bring that to the Lord right now. And let's all just pray together as the Lord has challenged us. Let's all just pray in response to that and let God speak straight into our heart. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know the love that you have for us. We were rebellious children, insubordinate. We were the prodigals. We didn't know you. We didn't care about you. But at some point, you showed us love that we didn't deserve. You, whether we were young or old, you told us that you sent your son to die for us and you will adopt us into your family. We didn't deserve that. We deserve far worse than that. And you could have kept that door to us closed for eternity and you would have been just and righteous in doing that, but you flung that door open and welcomed us in your arms. So Lord, help us to learn to love our church family. May we, may we feel family affection for those around us and May we not settle for treating other people in the family of God like strangers or enemies. May men and women, young and old, strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, whatever the offense. Um, and I pray as we learn to relate to our, our family families, our biological families, as you call to mind those relationships that are in need of repair, Help us to trust you with the past. Help us to receive guidance, wisdom from small group leaders and pastors in the present. And help us to hope that the future can be better.
remind us of your power. Remind us of the strength of your love. And, and as we keep that door open, Lord, towards those who are hard to love, may you use us as a shining example of the love of God. Thank you for this rebuke, Lord. Thank you for this challenge, for this correction. Call us to love again. Heal our hearts again. And give us wisdom and grace to know how to do it. And we do pray all this in Jesus' name.